Welcome to the Board Game Workshop. Just a couple of notes before we get into the episode. My friend Brian Compter and I are starting a game design day. It's going to be October 19th in Taunton, Massachusetts. You can head over to theboardgameworkshop.com slash design hyphen day to find out all the details. And also the launch for the Dice Nink Kickstarter discussed in this episode has been delayed. You can head over to inkwellgames.com to follow up on that. Now, on to the show. Welcome to the Board Game Workshop. This is not a typical episode with Dustin, as you've gotten used to over the last couple weeks. We're going back to a roundtable because we started planning this before I shift the format. Today, we will be talking about rolling rights, and I have Suzanne Sheldon and Joey Scotton with me. Hello! Hi! Welcome! And Odin Pong may be showing up later, but we will see. Um, so, welcome to the show! Yeah, thank you for having me. And, you know, yeah. So, it is very different times all around the world for this, which is always a fun schedule to set up. <laughs> but we're talking about rolling rights. We love rolling rights. You two, especially from what I've seen online, know a lot about rolling rights. So I think you're two of the best guests to have on for this. Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah. So why don't we why don't we begin with a definition of rolling rights? Uh, Joey, I'm going to go to you for this because this is what you've been writing about, and I just reread your intro, and. That's that's a tough thing to define. So if you want to give us just a general Ooh. idea of what we're talking about today. Oh, that's always really a difficult one to do concisely. So uh, roller rides are basically dice games uh, in which you roll dice. And using those dice, whatever comes up on them, you write on a score pad. And depending on the roller ride you have, you can build routes with it. You do some cool things with numbers or... And so on, but generally the, the entire thing is just rolling dice and writing down what you do with them, and that's very concisely what they are. The only thing I'd add is, I actually have a more expansive definition. I'm very much about clear, simple, common terminology in games, mm. and I think that's a challenge the industry has overall. So for me, a roll and write definitely started with games that fit the definition exactly how Joey lays out, but. As of late, more games have developed that use other randomizing elements, such as cards or tiles, mm -hmm. and I still put those in the general category. I know that there's some debate about that, but for me, <laughs> I slide those in too. Yeah, I slide those in as well, because like they, you, you do the exact same thing whether you use cards or dice or anything. So um, yeah, that's indeed a thing, yeah. So you're willing to give up the role and use other randomization, which mechanically is very similar. Are you willing to give up the right in place of placing tiles or tokens? Personally, no. Personally, I think writing is the, the absolute critical element that you cannot lose to still have a Roland write game. I think you can erase. We certainly have seen a few games lately that allow you to erase and change what you've written. But if there's not a physical writing part or marking part using a stylus of some sort, then I think it moves it into a different category. For example, Karuba is a tile laying game that people have often hinted that it could be considered a roll and write game, except you're just not writing anything. And, and I, that it, Karuba is a tile laying game. It's a completely different category to me. Interesting. The erasing kind of brings it away. That's because mechan when you're mechanically speaking, if you can write something and erase it, that's no different than putting down a tile and taking it away. Are you, Maybe, perhaps. I think that there are different circumstances. The Roland Wright game, literally called Roland Wright, 
<laughs> like the name Roland, has you filling in colored dots and then the dots have to connect to meet patterns and then you score those, but you can also use the different colored dots as a special ability. So it's up to you whether you leave it there, whether you use it for its ability. And if you use it for its ability, you will erase it. And I think that that's an interesting concept. Whether or not you could do that exact same thing with tiles, I think is debatable. I actually think that using dry erase pens on the dry erase marker board is a little more efficient because if you were to break up all of these little dots into individual little square or circle tiles that you're putting on, I actually think it'd be pretty fiddly and one good sneeze and your game is all messed up. <laughs> all right. So I think roll and write where, with everything else. It's very hard to define clearly, especially as the industry continues towards innovation and everyone's going to make a new twist on every mechanic and blend mechanics together. But I think people that are familiar with roll and writes can very clearly see if something is or isn't a roll and write. Even if it doesn't have rolling and even if the writing is with markers or pencil or pen, I think we all know what it is, right? Yeah, it generally is like um, when you see a roll and write, you usually immediately see, you know, um, what you're in for because because you have to, uh, because the writing element requires certain things to be on the on the sheets that you use or the boards that you use. It comes with pens, it comes with randomization elements. Usually when you see those things together in one place, it's very obvious that you're dealing with a roll and write. Unlike, say, other games where um, between the cards and the pawns and the piece of cardboard, you have no idea what the f kind of genre of game it could be. What do you think attributes to the sudden, drastic popularity in roll and writes? Like, a couple of years ago, there were a few coming out every once in a while. And over the last couple of years, it's been an explosion from around the world. So really, every market is getting into roll and writes very, very big right now. For sure. And I think that there's a number of factors in that. I think that Roland Wrights have always been around, but the, they've become certainly more creative and innovative lately. I kind of look to Quicks from 2002 as stimulating this resurge in interest in the format because Quicks was a Spiel de Yaris nominee, it was a Mensa Select nominee, and it made it into mass market stores here in the United States and North America, making it much more accessible, it's inexpensive, it's approachable, and it was just easy for people to pick up, and it's a good game. So not only did it have that mass market appeal from an approachability and price point point of view, it also had the game design and play credibility for more involved gamer audiences. And I think from there, people were kind of running with it because you have to remember, kind of when Roland Wrights were, I would say, gaining steam, it was kind of at the tail end of the micro game movement in board gaming, where micro games after Love Letter kind of had this surge and everybody was talking about, oh, micro games, Everybody's doing them. Oh, now everybody's tired of them. Well, in that everybody's tired of them, here comes Quicks and Roland Wright games. And the beautiful thing about many, many Roland Wright games is that they are relatively light on components, relatively affordable, and that seemed to kind of fill that wave, that, that rhythm curve for game trends in the industry. That really makes sense what you're talking about with the 
coming off the micro games because people people are always going to want low priced easy to play games like that's always going to be a section of the market whether it's one type of game or another so that really it really does fit in and then you had the benefit of very large player counts especially for a lot of the early ones they've kind of gone away to more advanced things in recent titles but early on it was it was very much like a large group of people could play this and i think that also helps like spread the love of rolling rights very quickly if you sit down with eight people and they all love it that's seven more copies you just sold absolutely and i i think that there's just this element too within the game design space and i am not by any means a game designer so perhaps joey and odin would would have more insight into this but it hadn't been very popular for years but all of a sudden it kind of refreshes itself and people remember oh I liked Yahtzee. Yeah, that game was fun. And it gives them a new place to explore. If you were doing a lot of tile lane designs for a while or a lot of worker placement game designs, all of a sudden here's this new format, this new niche that you can explore as a game designer that maybe you haven't touched before. So I just think from a creative space for game designers, it was probably a fun a fun area to explore, uh, something that they were familiar with but perhaps hadn't designed for before. It also tends to be very quick and easy to prototype. Uh, Odin, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you very much. So excited to be here. Do so you want to chime in on why you think Roland Wrights have become so popular as of late? Although Suzanne went over most of it. Yeah, Suzanne uh, definitely hit every sort of point uh, that I would have made for sure. Uh, except for one, one extra tidbit, which is they're, they're easy on the shelf space as well generally uh lately we hear people talking about running out of shelf space and what am i going to do gotta buy a new shelf well you can get a lot of rolling rights on one shelf very true even more if you put them all in a book <laughs> that's very true so let's let's move over to design like suzanne was saying it's it is a different space for designers and from the the bit of work i've done it's it seems to be a massively open space like even just the traditional like Yahtzee and Quicks is just rolling standard dice and doing things with numbers. There's a massive amount of them out there that are all very unique and have all sorts of different things. And it's just a different layout of patterns and maybe different colors to the dice. But there's so much just in that small subgenre of Roll and Write, not to mention all of the much more advanced and some are like full-on storytelling, dungeon crawls and all sorts of stuff. As designers, what do you think the Roll and Write space offers that other spaces don't? I'm going to actually, I think I'm going to defer to Joey here because he's he's doing much more of the design side of, of our project, at least. All right. Uh, well, what I personally feel when looking at Roll and Rides is that it's very much open. It's an open space still. We have some ideas of what a Roll and Ride is, but there's so much more you can do because you can basically take any kind of mechanic you can think of and combine it to make a Roll and Ride. So Roll and Ride's more almost a genre of on itself and you know a medium actually with lots of different things you could do in between and if you can come up with a game mechanic you can make a new roll and write around it and the difference between one roll and write and another can just be as small as having colored dice or not and what it means for your game so you can make so many different design decisions everywhere that it's just really easy to come up with something novel, something new that we haven't seen before. And that's something that we keep seeing almost monthly with a new role and write that does stuff completely differently than what we're used to. Let's swing into your project a little. So Dyson Inc. is 
the company. No, Inkwell, Inkwell Games is the company. Dice and Ink is the project, right? Correct. And this is a book of roll and rights, which will not include dice, as far as, as, far as the project goes? Yep, that's correct. Uh, we chose not to add dice because um, we use fairly standard dice and only in like a handful of colors, like two, maybe three. So it's stuff that most people have lying around already. And um, because we're actually aiming at people who love roller rights, likely they already have all of the dice in their home or are able to buy it for less than five, five dollars or something. So it's not anything that breaks the bank, but would make the project a lot more expensive if you've had to add it. So I'm curious, what design wise, what were the restrictions you put on? Because this did it start as a contest, or was it just a general call for entries? Uh, we did a general call for entries. We were like, hey, we want to do this thing. Uh, if you have a really cool idea about the kind of game you want to make, the run and write you want to make, contact us and we'll see what we can do. And um, what we then discussed with the designers mainly was uh, the less different types of components we can use, the better. So that means that doesn't mean you can't use polyhedral dice, for example, but if you use them, you need to make sure that it does something more than like standard six-sided dice would do. And all of that sort of gravitated towards uh, a lot of six-sided dice, but there's also some games that use polyhedral designs, usually two or three colors of dice, and uh, because it turns out that that's quite often enough. Yeah, it's amazing how just adding a couple of colors of dice can give you so much more design space. Like um, Ganshan Clever, which the app went wild just a little while ago, and now the sequel is out, but that's just some number spaces and a couple colors of dice and they've just pulled so many different mechanics out of it. It's, yeah, exactly. It is aptly quite clever. Uh, that <laughs> design is uh, fascinating to me. I still look at it all the time and go, how do they come up with this specific piece of it? Let's go back to the consumer side. And I'm curious, what got each of you interested in Roland Rights to begin with? I hadn't really thought about that. When I've talked about Roland Wrights before, what I will say is I've always loved Yahtzee as a game. <laughs> Just, it, it seems so mass market and people who are heavy into board games often kind of side-eye mass market games. But I've played Yahtzee and loved Yahtzee since I was a kid. And as you get older, there are variants that you can play like Triple Yahtzee that kind of up the challenge and make it a little more complex, which I also think is super fun. And I think just in general, there is something so basic about the concept of a roll and write. And I use basic as a synonym for approachable, familiar here. People, they're, people just think about being a kid, playing games, coloring, it's, it just feels good sometimes to have a piece of paper and a pencil in your hand, especially in this day and age. I mean, I think that's a trend in board games in general. People look at board games to soothe some of the digital addiction that we have in the world today. And there's just something very normal and very everyday in a very positive way about having some dice, having a piece of paper, having a pencil and, and scribbling and... I, I think that's certainly part of the appeal for me personally. And then to what everything that Joey and Odin have been saying, and, and you yourself too, Chris, is that these games actually have a beautifully wide range 
of challenge and mechanisms and theme and for this very direct approach I can really immerse myself in a mental challenge pretty easily and quickly which I just love about it. So Odin what got you into rolling rights? Great question. Uh, I too played Yahtzee as a kid and enjoyed it and um, when I met my wife she's very competitive and so I learned all the many ins and outs of of Yahtzee and how it works and she knew whether or not one of us was going to win long before we ever finished the game it was quite interesting so there's some sort of romantic nostalgia there for me uh, but what really what really grabbed me about the concept of a roll and write uh, is that it's actually a legacy game there's a permanence to it right that yeah. it's it's such a simple mechanism generally but once you make a choice the choice is made and very few of them let you go back and change that choice you might be able to do things further down the line that alter it but that sort of making a choice and it it being permanent has this sort of visceral um, attraction for me uh, and it's one of the when we were talking to designers one of the reasons that I said I don't think I want to go into the realm of an eraser as a component. It's a tricky choice to me. I, I love that point Odin. I hadn't really thought about it in that way but I think that that really resonates with me. I, I love that perspective. And Joey. Yeah um, just like you know everybody else I've also had really fond memories of playing Yahtzee like over at my grandma's place when I was still young. And uh, Yahtzee was one of those games that kind of fell off the radar entirely until like a few years ago um, I was at my local board game store with my partner and um, yeah, they have like they have their, their a demo shelf basically you can just pick stuff up and play it and among them was Quix and uh, we got to play it because my partner thought it was really cute and like yeah let's go play it and uh, yeah we liked it a lot and then um, we just got into one and another one and another one and um, I'm I am a linguist by um, by by my studies like I studied uh, linguistics or whatnot and I got really fascinated by how every little run and write is slightly different they give these slight design elements like game design phonemes basically what makes one one word another word um, and it just fell into rabbit hole and wanted more and more and more yeah it's really interesting how far they can go Myself, I never, I played Yahtzee maybe occasionally as a kid, but I didn't really have any strong connection to it. It wasn't till my wife brought it up. She is a fan of Yahtzee, and we played it again more recently. And it's definitely, it's one of those classic games, but it's one of those classic ones that holds up mechanically nowadays. Like, the Yahtzee dice mechanic has been used in tons of games. It's a great mechanic. But just the roll and write it, it works. There's strategy to it. It's a lot of randomness, but it's not like some other older mass market games that really fall apart mechanically in modern times. So it was interesting at the time. And then I think Rolling America was the first modern roll and write I picked up. I'm sure hearing someone talk about it on some podcast, most likely Suzanne. And it was it was just a great little puzzle. You could play it solo. I think that's another benefit that a lot of roll and writes have. The solo play really lets them spread quickly. Um, that along, along being played with large groups of people. So it has really, really wide player counts for a lot of them. Uh, but it's a really interesting puzzle. And then, like, they started to pick up popularity, and now you probably, what, 
like you said, one coming out monthly. So it's it's a really interesting thing. Then I tried designing them because of the Gen Cant contest that you put on Suzanne. That that really got me into designing Rolling Rights and is a really interesting space. And now you've had you've had two of those contests now, Suzanne, right? Right. We had one a few years ago and was I'll be honest, I was overwhelmed by the response. I wasn't quite sure. I'd never run a game design contest. I mean, who the heck am I to do something like that? But it seemed like a fun thing to do for Jen Cant. And I thought, okay, fingers crossed, maybe I'll get like five or 10 replies <laughs> and hopefully one of them will be good. And I literally had over a hundred submissions. And thank goodness I had a wonderful judging panel already lined up and we broke them up and reviewed them. But it was incredibly fun to see what people were coming up with because they were exploring space and this is a few years ago now they were exploring space that hadn't been touched in the niche before and I thought that that was thrilling there was one that had open movement about flying griffins that could do loop-de-loops on a blank piece of paper and oh my gosh that's so clever but now there are games that are exploring that space more in a more modern way today just a couple years later And then just a few months ago, we switched it up a little bit. We had gone to a uh, micro game format with Button Shy Games, and we had gone to this 18-card game in between. But we just had to revisit Roland Wright games because, if nothing else, selfishly, I wanted more. And so this year, we ran the Polyhedral Roland Wright contest because even though there is this, however you want to frame it, This surge, this flood, this deluge, this oversaturation, depending on your perspective, is how you're going to frame up this popularity of the format. There are still a ton of design spaces not explored very thoroughly. And one of those spaces is using polyhedral dice instead of standard six-siders. So I figured, well, heck, we'll run a contest that forces designers to use polyhedral dice. And once again, the design community, people like yourself, Chris, came through in really a stunning way. We had over 50 entries this time. And once again, the diversity in theme, in approach on how those dice were used, which just goes to what Joey and Odin have been saying, that with a very limited set of components, you can pull out such interesting design things. And this year, we had five designs that just, the judges from Buttonshine and I, we had to, we were debating. Like, well, this one does this so well, but this one's so interesting and new and fresh, and this one's so compelling and great for solo and all this other stuff. And that was that was pretty thrilling. And perhaps with a bit of ego, I can say I feel like my my thought that polyhedral dice is a place that we should be exploring more with Roland Wrights was justified by this design contest because or validated by it because I'm telling you, the the games that came out of this contest are awesome. I'm going to be talking to publishers to show them to them because they're, they're that good. They're, they're that creative and fun. And um, I don't know. If only I knew somebody who was focusing on publishing Roland Wright games in an approachable format. Hmm. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> fantastic. Uh, polyhedrals do add a, a whole different level. Probably many levels that we haven't even seen yet. Absolutely. And what's interesting, I'm not a math person. It's just, it's the subject I did okay in and never really loved, but never really hated. 
But what I can say is the math with the range of dice that are introduced with polyhedral is so interesting as you look at probabilities and the range of values that you can kind of assign to actions or spaces or things like that. Even with my novice approach to mathematics, I saw it coming through in these designs. So it's it's pretty darn cool. I got I, like I just get so excited about it. it's it's so cool. So we'll see what comes up next. Maybe that'll be the next little micro surge. Well, and and amongst the coolness uh, and the and the mathematics is this also super approachability, right? Even if you're not hyper mathy, you're in this game for 20, 30 minutes max, right? You're not stuck in a four hour pen and paper math fest if that's not your dig for sure absolutely and that's that's i've definitely played some lovely weightier more complex intense involved roll and write games and i love that that space is being explored but in general one of the appeals of roll and write games is absolutely their approachability i love that you'd mentioned shelf space which was something i never thought about but it's a great point um and their ease of play and their kind of quickness to get a fully satisfactory game experience in a relatively short amount of time. So I think that's a really great point. And I think dice, dice as a mechanic have been used in many games beyond rolling rights because their ability to take a lot of statistics that you don't want the player to have to deal with and just put them on a die and you roll it and something happens instead of what could be a much more complex system of figuring out various statistical outcomes you can just like roll this die whatever's on top that's that's what happened and it it can really take a lot of game complexity and take it away from the player in a way that is generally difficult for board games because unlike computer games where you have the computer doing all the work in the background the board game is mostly the player doing all the work so it's it's one instance that generally works very well of taking that away from the player and doing it for them uh, what also really helps with that is that generally you, you roll the dice, you see what you get, and then you decide what to do with it. So you're with roll and write, you're not in that problem where I'm going to do this, and then I roll the dice, and it turns out, no, we're not doing that, apparently. Um, so like you get to see what you can do and then make decisions based on that. So all of that mathness is basically... Um, put away for you already it's not like oh i have a 25 percent chance of doing this of do this now you roll and you go like oh it happens i can do that thing so is there anything else anyone would like to bring up about rolling rights as a concept as a design i know joey Oden, did you were you both about you had a game jam a little while ago for as a fall theme for rolling rights uh, yeah, I did, um, did a game jam a while ago together with uh, Robin David, the designer of uh, games like Movable Type and uh, Tag City. And uh, it's basically the same story Suzanne had. You know, we start a game jam, we give people a theme, you know, make a roll and write, and we think, well, we'll get 10 people and we get nearly 60. Um, <laughs> and then we need to, like, scurry around to get judges real quickly. But uh, yeah, that was. The, it was very much a sign that the popularity of the entire genre like was huge because we only were on Twitter basically, and we got almost sixty entrants out of nowhere, and it was impressive. Was that only a was that a week long game jam or how long was it? Um, oh, as far as the to, design side goes, I have to look that up. Uh, what we did, we um, gave people the requirements uh, basically on the day we started, so make sure that they only had the given amount of time. And I think it was like two weeks. 
maybe maybe three I don't really remember anymore but it was people thought it was too short and so we would make it longer next time like a month maybe because a lot of people felt they couldn't test enough and couldn't like didn't have the time enough because if you do a game jam uh, in a weekend for example that people want to do a game jam in the weekend people know that already in advance They're like hey we're gonna do that um, but a lot of people design in their spare time in the evenings or in the weekends so a week is actually a very short period of time so uh, yeah it is but uh, from from my experience people always want more time no matter how much <laughs> you give them and as mentioned earlier Roland rights are fairly unique in that if you are going to design a game in the week and play test it the rapid iterative process for a roll and write tends to be much quicker than having to reprint out and cut out cards or tiles or make components and things like that so definitely one of the benefits there oh definitely you print out a sheet you got a new version you test it and a lot of them you can do solo too so you can really go through it very fast for my own i use my ipad so i don't even print anymore i just have the version of my ipad in the program i'm designing it in i don't even have to export it's it's a ridiculously fast process although still very difficult to design for sure and i think that i get because i'm kind of known as a fan of the format a lot of times people will ask me questions about it and one thing i see and i saw this i've seen this over the years through multiple gaming trends you always see people who uh, as games go through their phases and their popularity cycles well oh i'm tired of this or i'm tired of that or we have too many or everybody's doing this now and i i really want to dissuade people from falling prey to that kind of cynicism especially in the roll and write genre right now because there's they they aren't simple i mean you can you can certainly rapidly prototype them and rapidly design them but making a good one is still designing a full-fledged game and in many ways the component limitation is an extra challenge you can't just solve by throwing extra tokens in or throwing extra cards in you really have to think through what you have to work with and how to make that work not just from a math and a balance point of view but from an experience point of view from a time point of view from a from and just a how do you interact with this thing in front of you point of view and i actually look at the surge of roland rights and the diversity of them and i get very excited but what i think is interesting is without a doubt things become popular plus with the bonus of being relatively simple to produce and manufacture from that point of view in the business you're going to see some of varying quality and i think it's interesting that I buy almost every Roland Wright. Well, I buy everyone I know of. If I know that this Roland Wright exists and I don't own it, I'm going to buy it. So the only Roland Wrights I don't own are the ones I don't know exist. Um, but I think it's interesting. I've actually gone through this next surge at Gen Con and tried a few of them. And I played them and I go, oh, that was okay. It was good. It was fun. But it wasn't great. And in a weird way... That just goes to show the space that Roland Wrights are in right now from an industry point of view. It, it's actually, there, there are tons of okay and good games produced. And we're kind of going through this weird cycle now where okay ones are being produced. And I want to caution people against playing an okay one and then judging the entire format based on that. 
or judging the entire business based on the idea of, oh, they're just cranking them out. There's a business element in board games. Everybody has to make a profit. Otherwise, you know, the business would die. But the reality is, is that there's so many spaces in Roll and Write to still explore. I don't see a lot of cooperative ones still. I've seen very, very few that explore a shared drawing space. Although maybe Joey and Odin's book has it because I haven't had a chance to peek at all of them yet. Joey, Odin, I want to peek at them. I, there, there are excellent, excellent Roland Wright games coming out right now. If you think that you enjoy the format and you encounter one that's maybe just okay or maybe just not for you or that you didn't enjoy as much, I just want to encourage people not to give up and not to impose that negativity on the format in in general because it's such a wonderful style of game to play and enjoy and great ones are still being designed and there are so many new areas that are still going to be explored that I want to make sure that we are supporting it as an industry so that we see more and more of these games because you always get good ones and every once in a while you're going to get a great one and those great ones are totally worth it. I think it's interesting... Uh, at the beginning, you had mentioned Roland Wrights came in on the tail end of the microgame craze, and I think they they have a lot of similarities. They're both a vaguely dis- described or vaguely defined um, format, really, beyond any sort of mechanic. Like Joey was saying, it's the rolling and writing. It's less a mechanic and more of a genre. And like same with, thing with microgames. There were a couple of things that jumped out of popularity. Then everyone started doing it. Then it tapered off, and I think Rowan Rights will probably have the same thing, and maybe we're at that peak now where there's just so many of them, and it'll start to calm down. But you'll still have the great ones coming out every once in a while. There'll just be people putting a lot more focus into them. And Odin, what are you going to say? That is, that is um, absolutely true. Honestly, I think we've kind of only hit the tip of the iceberg uh, design-wise. And here's my challenge to the designers out there. Uh, actually, it's more of a question that um, Daniel Solis put in my head with a Twitter tweet, uh, but it is why, why do we only use the value on the top of the die? What can be done with the rest of the die within the design space? Oh yeah, I saw that tweet. That's very interesting to think about. Suzanne, you are going to say something? Well, and I think that the micro game genre and niche is an interesting forecast of what could be the rhythm that we see in Roland Wright games, Specifically because Button Shy Games exists producing these 18-card games, and they are great. A lot of what I think is interesting is more that many publishers have kind of moved away from that space, which I think is a shame because there are still great 18-card designs out there to be made. There are still low-card count games that that will be excellent. And I think Button Shy showcases it. They've built an entire business based on producing, finding and producing these wonderful little card games. And I actually think the industry is missing out. I actually think that the fact that larger publishers have moved away from that format is, it's disappointing to me. But I also understand the, the business reasons behind it. But I'm really glad that Button Shy continues to focus and highlight these styles of game because it, there are great, great micro games coming out. And I think it's the same with Roland Wright games that I always worry a little bit about trendiness or about phases or cycles within the industry because 
because it's easy to phase out of and leave things unexplored and leave good things off the table that should be on the table. And it, that's, I, I imagine, I imagine all the possibilities out there that may not get fulfilled. And that makes me a little sad. So I'm really excited about projects like what Joey and Odin are doing, focusing on this space and really giving its due and its focus, ensuring that the games that are hitting the table are high quality and engaging and propelling the format forward so that we can hopefully kind of subvert that that bell curve of really big up and then a really big down. I'd love to have it be a gentler curve for this format. Yeah, definitely. I think I think the book format is a great thing moving forward and I haven't seen it done with very many so far, but it all the benefits we were talking about earlier of rolling rights, the shelf space, the approachability, all of those are e- increased even more with a book. Like people that have never played a game, they've most likely seen a book and you have a bookshelf, and you can put books on it. It's really simple to get new people in with that kind of form factor, and then thinking about sales, you can have it, although bookstores are leaning towards games more heavily now anyway, but even traditional spaces that would just have some books, like an airport or something, you could buy a roll and write book to take on your flight. I think there's, market-wise, I think there's a huge amount of opportunity going forward with this, but I think there will be some changes, and it's it's going to be interesting to follow. It sure is. Uh, just as I've started, you know, looking at and continuing to publish, uh, you keep your eye on the pulse of what's coming out and what people are working on a little bit more. And the possibilities are both fascinating, exciting, and it feels like right now almost seemingly endless. So with that, why don't we give you two a chance to talk about your project and this episode should be up on September 4th, which is very far in the future for us. But you you listeners, it's September 4th. Happy September 4th. Uh, so why don't you guys tell us a bit about your project specifically, uh, the Kickstarter dates, and which it should already be live according from this uh, broadcast, right? Goes live August 27th. Yeah, so Dyson Inc. Uh, 10 games, 10 roll and write games, 11 designers all in a compact book that you can take pretty much anywhere you want to go. And all you need are some dice and something to write with. And uh, a pal or two would help, but are not necessary for the enjoyment of what designers have created here, which is a fantastic group of games that are very widely ranging, both in player count, difficulty, theme, mechanics. Uh, We've been really, really impressed with what designers have come up with and the journey that each of their games has taken over the time that we've been developing them. Do you have a list of the designers handy? Yeah, I'm gonna like, I I took the liberty of pulling up the list real quickly. Uh, So we've got one by Bez, uh, which is uh, called, uh, well, right now we still have the working title Flower Power. Uh, which is uh, one that uses one single sheet for all players together. Um, we've got Little Island Gift Shop by Tony Catino, which is a cooperative run and ride. Um, we've got Coral Relief by Jessica Trom. Uh, we have Kuiper Cowboys, which is still uh, right now the working title by Robin Gibson. Uh, Ryan Hoy has Icy Dice, which uh, is a game that's also using a shared sheet. 
uh, Grace Kendall has a cooperative storytelling role and write called Celestial Stories, in which people have to like make constellations together, after which they tell a story with those. Uh, Ned Leven um, is somebody who, who made a game in that uh, game jam I did called Pennsylvania and is returning with that one. Uh, Joe Montgomery has a very, very, very good solitaire role and write called uh, Lost at Sea. Uh, Sarah and Will Reed have also a solo role and write called Scrapyard Robot. And finally, we have Alexander Shen with Islands of Atlantis, um, which is more of a standard kind of um, area filling uh, role and write that can do a lot of people. So, yeah. I, I can't even tell you how exciting it is to hear all of those games and all of those names. Most of those names I'm familiar with and... I, I'm hearing a lot of names from, of designers that I actually like their other games, let alone their Roll and Write games. So it's amazing that you've gotten such a wonderful docket of game designers in this book. And then the concepts, I, I heard shared drawing space. I heard cooperative. I heard solo. I, ooh, I'm, I'm, getting, I'm getting really amped up for this. So what I'm curious about, though, if you don't mind me asking, is it's a book and and there's one other group that I'm familiar with Buttonshy actually a, a, an offshoot of Buttonshy that did a couple of books of Roland Wright games and they worked out I love them they're great star maps and I forget the royal family uh, title book but they did a bound book that had tear out pages and I thought that that worked well I'm curious what the form factor of your book is going to be is it bound is it spiral is it tear out pages is it dry erase pages what does that look like uh, well we're also going to be using uh, tear out pages with like perforated pages so you can just tear out the sheets um, so that you can either just write on them and, and use them or just laminate them you know after you tore them out so we're going to similar kind of way um, also because we saw that was worked really well for them for Spiel Press, I think, I believe that's what they were called. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, that just looked really good and it worked really well. And if you want to use dry erase boards in a book, that's gonna, all of that's going to shoot the costs up way higher than you want it to be. Because these runner rights need to stay affordable. Um, and that's what we went for. So, yeah. And how many copies of each game is in the book? Uh, depending on uh, depending on player count and on the kind of game, uh, we want to aim at that you can play it. Uh, like uh, we aim for ten pages of sheets, and for some games that means that is ten plays. Other games that means that's like uh, fewer, like four to three. But we're gonna depending on like because we're still uh, working on the exact number of sheets right now. Uh, we want to make sure that you can play every game at least like four to five times at the very least because uh, there needs to be some replayability in there and we of course in the book as well we also like provide um, the input like you, you should laminate these things if you want to keep using them because that's just a really good way to deal with rolling rights yeah definitely and the so the extra components you said mostly six-sided dice a couple need polyhedrals um, are there any other specific or special items or any kind of writing tool is fine, doesn't really matter? Uh, well, some games we like to use, especially one that used the shared sheet, uh, that you bring different colors of pen, if at all possible, and otherwise just use different symbols that you're using while you're drawing stuff. But uh, beyond that, no, I think the game that's most intensive uses uh, half a set of polyhedral dice, and then another one has like... Um, 
five dice in two colors. So it's all very basic in terms of what you need to bring to the table to, in order to play him. Sounds great. I am very excited for this. Uh, I, I backed the Spiel Press, Spiel Press stuff because I was so excited about the format. I haven't played it yet because, as people that follow me know, I don't have time to play games. But I, I really I love the product that they put out, and I'm really excited for this. Having multiple games in one book sounds really great. So that about does it for our time. Thank you all for coming on. Is there any last thing anybody wants to say about Rolling Rights before we finish up? I just want to say that if anybody listening to this show hasn't tried a Roland Wright game, I encourage you to go and check them out. And if you're the other thing that we haven't mentioned, and I think that Joey and Odin have hit on it a little bit, is if you have dice at home, which you can scavenge from an existing game or something like that, there are actually wonderful Roland Rights available for free online to download and print and all you need to do is bring your own dice to the table similar to what joey and odin are doing with their books so even if you haven't uh got the budget right now one of the beautiful things about mini roll and write games is that they're affordable or even free so don't forget you can always check out the gen cant entries and we've made those available to download for free but also if you have a board game geek account there are actually a number of really solid roll and write games that are free to download and print at home and give it a try i I think that if you give it a chance and explore it a little bit, you can find a Roland Wright game for you. Definitely. There are, there are way more than you even think would exist. Just just on the free side, not to mention all of the well-produced ones and future ones. It's, I don't think it's slowing down anytime soon. Jory Odin, anything to add? Uh, no, no, not really. Like, just if anything to add, I would like to like also really hammer the point home that these free Roland Wrights you can just get are just as good as like published roll and writes and some of them like 30 rails 30 rails is like one of the best puzzles i've seen in roll and writes that i keep just getting headaches of whenever i play it because it's <laughs> really a really it is so good and it's actually a really tough one and it uses two dice in wow. two colors a black one die and a white die it's one piece of paper and it holds its own against a really like it's very simple and it holds its own against more complex games. So being free doesn't mean it's less good. It just means you don't have to pay for it. <laughs> and my, my pitch is if you're a designer and you haven't designed a roll and write, try it. They're easy to iterate. They're fun to try and it gets your brain ticking in a different way than a lot of designs do because the constraints are there, but what you're constantly asking is, what can I do that hasn't been done within constraints that have been used for a long time? Definitely. All right, let's end this with some contact info. Suzanne, you want to start? Just who you are, where people can get in touch with you, and any projects you have coming up that you want to promote. Sure. You can find me online. I'm Suzanne Sheldon on Board Game Geek. I actually have the username Gibbous because I made it years and years ago, and it's really hard to change it. Uh, you can find me mostly on Twitter. I'm at 425Suzanne. I tweet a lot, and so maybe not the, 
not the best place to follow me, but you're welcome to hit me up there anytime to talk about Roll and Write games or other games that you may have questions about. And if you like listening to board game podcasts, I am one of the four co-hosts of a board gaming podcast called The Dice Tower. And every other episode, my podcast partner, Mandy Hutchinson, and I talk a lot about the wide range of board games available today, not just Roll and Writes, but I actually sneak in a lot of Roll and Writes there as well. Awesome. And Joey? Uh, yeah, I'm mainly on Twitter. Uh, you can find me there at Vengeant. It's it's a magic pun. Um, uh, so, uh, yeah, that's where I usually do all of my tweeting, tweeting about um, usually all sorts of board games, but mainly Ronan Rides because there's so much coming by in my feed, of course, and try to support all of it, like retweeting and whatnot. And, um, yeah, like we have already talked about the project that's coming up that I'm the developer of. So, uh, yeah, I believe that's about it for me. Right, and Odin. You can find me personally at Pongodin, that's P-H-O-N-G-O-D-I-N, on Twitter and Facebook. Inkwellgames.com is the website for Inkwell Games, and at Inkwell Games is the Twitter for us. If you've got a roll and write or you want to know about roll and writes, hit us up. We'll be happy to make some recommendations or give you some feedback. And of course, Dice and Ink is coming August 27th. It launches 10 games, 11 designers, all bound in a book. You just have to bring the dice and the ink. Thank you all again for coming on the show. This was a great talk about a really interesting genre that I think has a lot more to offer, and we'll see where it goes. Thank you. Thanks so much, Chris. Yeah, thank you for having us on. That's all for this episode. The Board Game Workshop is a member of the Indie Game Report. You can check out their reviews and interviews at theindiegamereport.com. Thank you to all of our Patreon supporters, especially our inventor-level supporters. Chris Turner, Vegan Al, Brad Batchelor, Roscoe Schock, Vas Cottis, and Corey Mudiman. If you'd like to support the show, go to patreon.com slash theboardgameworkshop. You can follow the show on Twitter at the BG Workshop and on Facebook at The Board Game Workshop. Join the show's Discord channel to discuss episodes. You can call the show's Google Voice number at 725-222-8249 and leave a question or a contributor segment for a future episode. You can get the links for these and all show notes at theboardgameworkshop.com. Thanks for listening.